The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. Welcome to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter, which you can learn more about by going to my website at miningstocks.com. That's M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com. You can also learn more about a partner of mine, Chen Lin, uh, who writes an investment uh, alert letter uh, titled, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can learn more about Chen as well, as I say, at miningstocks.com. We, uh, also, Roger Wiegand, another partner of mine who writes uh, an excellent newsletter for commodities trading and futures trading, uh, Trader Tracks. And you can learn more about him also at that address. Or you can go to webeatthestreet.com, webeatthestreet.com for Roger and myself. Uh, we have some low-priced uh, introductory subscriptions for all three newsletters. You can learn more about that uh, also by going to miningstocks.com or calling my assistant, Claudio Bossi, Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. Before I go any further, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. We have just passed through the first year of this show. Our first show was last uh, March 23, 2009. Uh, it was then a one-hour show. What we found was we had so many fascinating guests and so many interesting things to talk about that one hour just wasn't long enough and so we've increased the show about midway middle of last year to a two-hour show 
Uh, and we also wanted, uh, in addition to our very interesting guests, we wanted to be able to bring you some concrete ways that you could make money or you could protect yourself against the difficulties that we talked about in the more philosophical discussions with our primary guests. So we started to feature uh, more in-depth companies, mining companies primarily, but not exclusively, mining companies that we think have a chance to do very well going into the future uh, and as concrete ways for you to um, perhaps protect your, your wealth during a time of, uh, of potentially some very, very difficult times ahead in the financial market. So a really big thanks to each of you for listening because we have done very well. We are now uh, the number one show on the business channel at Voice America with 30.2% of the market share, and we seem to be picking up more and more listeners all the time. Tell your friends, uh, and again, a big thanks to you. We want to thank each of our uh, corporate sponsors for making this show commercially possible. Uh, the uh, sponsors for the first hour of our show are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold Corp Resource Consultants, American Bonanza, Magellan Minerals, Metanor Resources, Merrick's Gold, Inc., Timmins Gold, and Riverside Resources. Resource Consultants is the only non-gold mining firm named above. Uh, it is a licensed precious metals broker headed by Pat Gorman, who is himself a radio talk show host. Pat is a semi-regular guest on this show, and in fact, he'll be joining us a little later in the show. You can uh, contact Resource Consultants in Tempe, Arizona at 480-820-5877. 4808205877 or go to we we buy uh, excuse me go to uh, buysilvernow.com www.buysilvernow.com uh, to buy precious metals that uh, gold and silver etc that is sold by by Pat's firm. I want to say uh, that you can also contact Pat Gorman's office to purchase a CD that contains all of the speeches at the Wealth Protection Conference where I was a speaker last week along with my partner Roger Wiegand, Richard Mayberry, Arch Crawford, Ian McAvity, Dave Morgan, uh, commodity broker Jim Lyles, Dr. Yaron Brook, who is the president of the Ayn Rand Institute, uh, was there, Sinclair No, and of course Pat Gorman. All of those speeches are contained on a CD, so if you call Pat's office you can also uh, pick up that for, I think it's $99 is the charge for that, but well worth it in my view. This week uh, I will be discussing the markets with famed newsletter writer Ian McAvity. He's the author of Deliberations, along with my partner, Roger Wiegand, and Pat Gorman, as I said, will be joining us at about half past the hour. Dave Morgan was scheduled to be on the show but was unable to uh, make uh, to be at the studio on time to uh, record uh, last Friday when this show, uh, when this part of this today's show was pre-recorded. Uh, before we get to that part, portion of the show, I have a couple of junior mining companies that I think are worth listening to, worth hearing more about for possible inclusion in my newsletter. I'm definitely looking at them with that possibility in mind, but it may, they may be good stories for you to keep in mind and consider uh, including in your own portfolio after you've done your own due diligence and talked to your, uh, to your uh, professional uh, mining, uh, your professional uh, financial people that you consult. Uh, the first company I'm going to talk to is Terra Minerals Corp. It's traded on the over-the-counter bulletin board under the symbol T-A-R-M, uh, last I checked, it was at about $2.25, with approximately 51 million shares outstanding. And with me is Francis Biscan. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Terra Minerals. Um, Francis, welcome to Turning hey. Hard Times into Good Times. Yeah, hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Well, it, it's really good to, uh, to hear from you. We're talking to you from where? Where are you today? Just outside Chicago in uh, Wheaton, Illinois. 
Okay, great. Well, good middle America, I guess. Yep. Just to make sure our listeners are aware of the corporate structure of Terra Minerals, can you explain that to us? I believe there is Terra Gold Corp that is a parent holding company. And can you tell us how much of those 51 million shares I mentioned to are owned by Terra Gold Corp? And in general, could you give us an idea of the float in the Terra Minerals Corporation? Yeah, Terra Minerals uh, has approximately 52 million shares outstanding. And of those 52 million shares, Terra Gold uh, controls 41 million shares. Mm-hmm. So there's approximately 11 million shares uh, potentially in the float. Okay, and the intent, as far as you know, of the of the of Terra Gold uh, is is simply are they long term investors? Yeah, Terra Gold is just uh, is acting really as as a holding company right now. And, okay, um, just holding. All right, I think it's always important for investors to have to know something about the structure, uh, the, you know, the capital structure of companies, and that's the reason I asked the question. Absolutely. Yeah. As I understand it, you've just uh, commenced production on your 100% owned. Don Ramon mine in Sonora State, Mexico. As I understand it, this is a silver lead zinc mine. Uh, how long have you been in production and how is it going? We started operations uh, about uh, the end of the third, uh, the beginning of the fourth quarter of 2009. And, uh, you know, we've been in startup for, you know, um, a number of months now. So we, right now we're, we're running at a, about a 240 ton a day rate. And um, we're producing sellable concentrate, so that's we're we're right at the beginning of uh, consistent operations, really. Okay, how many tons a day are you running through the mill at this time? How, are you mining and milling about the same amount? How much would that be? Yeah, right now it's about the same. It's uh, we're we're mining just over 200 tons a day. We've got about 11,000 tons mined already, and we're running at about 240 tons a day. Um, we've we're in the process of finishing the drying system, and as soon as we finish that drying system, we'll be able to add our third line, which will put us up to about 360 tons per day. Okay. Uh, how much silver, lead, and zinc can you produce uh, from this project, um, let's say, at these different levels of production? Well, as far as, as ounces, I don't have it broken down into ounces. Um, yeah. As far as dollars goes, mm-hmm. um, when we're running at 240 tons a day, we're, we're making about 1.2 million a month net operating. Net operating cash flow. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, then, and this would be, at, I guess, we're talking pretty much current prices for silver, lead, and zinc. Yeah, so I'm using $16 silver and a dollar lead, dollar zinc. So it's, we're kind of right there. Right. And um, and then at 360, we're making just under 2 million a month net operating. What would be your basic mix of, um, let's say, would be how much of that of your revenues do you think, you know, using current prices more or less would come from silver as opposed to the base metals that you mentioned? Yeah, some somewhere right now at today's prices, somewhere around forty percent, forty-two percent is coming from silver. Mm-hmm. The rest is base. So you are a precious metals and base metals mining operation there. Yeah, it's it's definitely a you know a, a good silver. Grade. We're, we're running about 300 grams silver per ton mm-hmm. um, from what we've mined right now and, and even recently encountered some high-grade areas. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a significant silver producer. This is just sort of a general question, but what would you, uh, if you applied the, the lead and the zinc uh, as credits, what would be your cost of uh, per ounce of silver in production? Would you, would you have a, an 
sense of that at this point? Yeah, we're we're somewhere around right around six dollars. So okay, so uh, of course, and and silver and zinc. How are I mean uh, lead and zinc? How are they now relative to their historic prices? Are they low or high? At, you know, we're of, we're not. I mean, um, we're probably about fifty percent off the lows, and uh, and, and like lead. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. We're double. We're we're double the lows in lead. Mm-hmm. And we're about 50% of the highs, and that's probably similar to zinc. We're probably about 40% of the highs in zinc, mm-hmm. about 100% of the lows. Okay, I want to stress to our listeners that the numbers that we're talking about here, these are projections, and and really, um, Francis, you just really started production, so I guess we, we can't say that we have a rich history of, uh, of price and revenues. I mean, Correct. so I think investors should keep that in mind. Right, it's not like I can forecast earnings for the next few quarters. Um, sure. We believe we know where we'll be when we when we get there, and you know, efficiency is has been completed at the mine site, and um, that's the numbers I would be using. Okay. Well, you started with uh, with your silver, lead, zinc mine, but you also have a gold deposit, or at least a gold property right next to the Don Ramon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's actually a gold structure, which is actually right at the same place that we're mining the lead, um, lead and silver and zinc from, but just on the other side of it. And uh, yeah, we discovered that um, you know just uh, geologist was just working the property, and we ended up channel sampling about a two meter wide, very apparent, visible structure, and we ran over an ounce per ton in channel samples, and um, and then we ended up trenching that and looking for the, the structure, the Spain structure at different heights. And what we have now is um, we've got about an average gate of about 12 and a half grams gold equivalent, hmm. about 10 grams being gold. And we've got it on strike for about 850 meters, hmm. and we've got a depth of about 400 meters. It's still open at depth and a long strike? Yep, yep, it's open in all directions. And, uh, and we're up, you know, um, elevation-wise, we're up, so there's a lot of depth. To go here, that's uh, mineable depths. And okay, and uh, are are you uh, planning any extensive drilling program on on either of these properties uh, that would give us a sense of how much you have and at what grades? Yeah, absolutely. Although we didn't go about it that way, that's mm-hmm. not uh, that wasn't my strategy with the company. But we do certainly intend on drilling both Don Ramon uh, from inside our, our workings because from our minings, and also um, San, the San Felipe Gold structure. We want to build some reserves. Um, we have our own internal, you know, uh, visibility on on what we have um, now, but uh, we want to put it into 43101 category. Sure, I understand. You also have a 90% interest in Adit Resource Corp. Resources Corp. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, Adit Resources is a company that was formed as a subsidiary, right, uh, to Terra Minerals, and it owns a property called Picacho. Uh, Picacho is on trend with uh, Yamana's Mercedes property, and actually we we ended up bringing over an old uh, Yamana geologist, um, an old I guess he's an old Yamana geologist now because he's not there anymore, but uh, he's running the company, and that that property is a gold property. It's got about a eight, eight and a half kilometers of known strike length. Mm. Um, it's we're, we're looking for you know that seven eight uh, gram gold in structures and 
potential for that property is it's a multi-million ounce potential property. Okay. As always, the concern for junior mining companies is financing. Do you have money in the till? Or are you going to have to raise some capital? And um, could you just tell, give us a little bit of idea about that? Yeah, we just raised a million and a half for Adit. So um, Adit is in good shape. And Terra Minerals has um, financials are due tomorrow, so I can't say exactly what the number. We have a sufficient cash in Terra mm -hmm. Minerals. Mm -hmm. And also, we have no debt. So oh, that's good. What is um, uh, that? Sounds good. Very, very. So your strategy is to internally finance this growth uh, to the greatest extent possible, I suppose. That's that's the idea. I mean, there may be a point in time where the stock gets overvalued, and uh, you know, maybe we'll raise some money at that point. But, sure. But uh, that's the way we see it. Yeah. Okay. What do you? What is? What do you consider your biggest risk? What keeps you awake at night? What keeps me awake at night? Um, uh, the uh, the Obama administration. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, besides that, as far as the mining goes, um, you know, just trying to work out the efficiency at the mine site. I mean, there's mm -hmm. as you as you've been around mining a long time, Jay, so you know mm -hmm. you you're gradually getting everything working together and properly, and getting everything to sync, and um, you know, just just trying to to become more and more efficient at what we're doing down there. So. Excellent. Well, tell our listeners where they can learn. What is your website so they can follow their, your company's progress? Yeah, the website is www.terraminerals, which is Terra is spelled T-A-R-A minerals.com. Okay. And they can find everything about uh, our projects and some of the other projects we haven't even talked about. That's in Excellent, Francis. Well, I'm sorry. I would maybe have you back again sometime soon. I'm sure we will. And we can talk about uh, your progress and other uh, some of those other properties, perhaps. Uh, we've got to go to commercial break, but folks, don't go away. We have another very interesting company with an operation uh, also in, uh, in West Africa. We'll be right back. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I have with me Gregory Eisenhower. He's the president and CEO of Merrick's Gold. Merrick's Gold trades in the Toronto Exchange. MXI is a symbol. I haven't been able to determine whether or not the company has a pink sheet symbol, Americans many times years truly included by Canadian stocks directly off of the pink sheets and normally when they trade in Toronto they also uh, trade down here uh, under um, the uh, under the, under a pink sheet symbol I'm sure they will have if they don't have um, I'm sure you can buy the stock if you call your broker if you uh, desire to do that but there are 82.8 million shares outstanding I believe that's correct around 52 cents the last I looked at the stock is where it was trading it gives them a market cap of around $44 million or so, as far as I, um, at least if, if those numbers are correct, and we'll check in. Uh, Gregory, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. It's good to be here. And I understand I'm talking to you from uh, Mali, West Africa. Yes, I'm in uh, Bamako, uh, West Africa right now, Bamako, uh, West Mali, and just uh, took a nine-hour drive from our Sarabaya project. Okay, your Sarabaya project, uh, it's a gold project in Mali. You have 100% interest in that property. Are, is it subject to any royalties or any government claims, anything like that? Well, yes, right. We own, it, we own uh, the Sarabaya project 100%, but the standard uh, government royalties, uh, they, the Mali government has a 10% free carry. They have an an option to participate for another 10%, and they were 3% royalty, which is standard in this part of the world. Okay. And I Am Gold is involved in some way uh, with this prospect, though. Is that is that correct? Or do I have that That's wrong? That's correct. I Am Gold, uh, Jay, have a, um, an earn-in agreement with us. Uh, it's a $12 million deal. Uh, they spend. They put 1.5 million into our treasury. We negotiated the deal in uh, during 2008, and they have to spend 10.5 million to earn 50 percent of the uh, project, uh, not 51, 50. And we are the operator. I see. And have they committed to do that then? Yes, they have committed. Um, to date of the uh, 10.5 million, they have in fact put 1.5 million into our treasury, and uh, they have. Uh, uh, there's been a little 4 million spent already from the 10.5 million. We're into the uh, drilling and uh, reverse circulation drilling program right now, and um, you know I have all you know very optimistic that they're going to uh, complete that uh, that earn in uh, the 10.5 million expenditure. They're in the middle of it now. Okay, so. Um, so that should mean that you don't have to raise a lot of capital right now at this point in time. You're, you're cashed up to the extent you need to be pretty much at the moment? That's correct, Jay. Um, we, have, um, we, have about, uh, we will have about $3 million in our treasury by within a month. Uh, all the warrants will be exercised or in the money. Uh, 
Um, we have no debt, and we, in fact, get a management fee from operating a Cerebi project, and our GNA is uh, at a minimum. So our treasury is in good shape right now. And we uh, did I quote the number right, about 82.8 or 82.9 million shares? Is that approximately right? Outstanding number? Yes, I say, I say about 19 million are fully diluted. Okay. And um, we're trading at about 50 cents. Okay, all right. Uh, what about uh, resources? You have a 43101 resource. Could you tell our listeners what that number is? Yes. We um, just completed an updated uh, 43101 resource. Uh, it was done by ACA Howe in, um, in out of London. And it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's um, primarily indicated not inferred. It's about 315,000 ounces of 3.3 grams per ton, which is huge. It's uh, well within the range of what's required for the, the, the mining operations in this area. Um, we, uh, in fact, um, this is a, the uh, second uh, update on the resource, and we elected to, uh, to uh, uh, show the continuity. And uh, In fact, this resource hangs together. It's good grade. And uh, now what we're doing, we're actually stepping out from that resource. Now that we know that it's, it's good grade, stepping out from the resource to see how it hangs together. All right, are we talking about an open pit, uh, open pit mine here? Yep, that's right. Open pit. And is it open at depth? It is open at depth. And some of the, the drill holes are... Uh, uh, 20 uh, meters of 6 grams of open at depth. And what's really intriguing about this deposit uh, is that it's, uh, it's um, saprolite uh, at, a, at a great depth. And when you have saprolite, that basically means weathered rock, much easier to mine, much more economical. And I would say it's a saprolitic to greater depths than most of the mines in the area. And that's hmm. a result of the... Uh, the structures in the area, so it's open pit and, and real good grades. Okay, so you got a potential at depth to increase that 315,000 ounces, I would guess. Well, a much greater potential than that. When we picked up this property, uh, we identified 60, 60 miles of structure, gold anomalous structures in the area. Mm. Mm. All our work that we did was done on about, completed on about six miles. Mm -hmm. Our resource only covers half a mile. Wow. Uh, we have huge potential to increase this, not at depth, but a long strike. And we're now presently working uh, a long strike, and this, this present RC drilling program is designed to see how just, just how big this is. So keep in mind I mentioned the Cerebia structure. The one that we're testing is uh, six, kilometers, six miles long, mm -hmm. uh, and our resource only covers half a mile. Okay, so even though you have depth potential, I guess your focus is going laterally, going along strike, probably because why you can do it more quickly, prove up ounces, and and um, it just that's just the direction you're going at the present time. Correct. Um, open pit is uh, is what most of the mines are here. Although some of the mines north of us, the Rangold Lulu Mine, Anglo I am Gold Sadiola have found greater grades at depth and they'll probably go on the ground on these. But initial mines are open pit, and we have such potential along the strike of the survey structure that that's what we're looking at right now. Okay, so you have an, an active drill program in place now, and if so, when might investors start seeing some results come from there? 
Yes, we have a um, 50,000 foot uh, reverse circulation drilling program taking place right now. It just came from we're drilling. We're about uh, we just started it about a tenth of the way through it. Uh, that program is designed to see just how big this this uh, deposit is and uh, extend out from the, uh, the the resource we have. Um, we'll have uh, results coming out as soon as possible. Uh, results are in the lab. The the the, uh, the assay the samples are into the lab. The results are coming as we speak. So that'll happen over the next uh, uh, three months. Uh, all the results will be in. Does Merrick's Gold have the management uh, talent and uh, background to take this into production? Is that your goal, or are you looking to build up a, a monster deposit and then have a, a company like IAM back in and, and become the producer? Well, IAM or somebody bigger, um, the, um, to begin with, um, our options are open. And uh, keep in mind that we will still own 50% of this after IAM Gold earned their 50% interest. Um, at that point, we have a decision to make. Um, you know, other companies are talking to us. They, they like the drill results. Uh, certainly, IM Gold is our company of choice. They're a great partner to be working with, and um, they have a, a bit of an advantage. Um, I don't think we'll be. Uh, uh, we're mine finders. Our previous company, Joby Gold, we found the Bisa deposit in Burkina Faso. That's now, and we were taken over uh, by High River Gold Mines. Uh, sure three times our uh, stock price at the time, and all of our investors made a, little, a lot of money. We're doing the same thing again in, in, in Mali. And I realize it's very, very uh, early right now. Uh, you're in the early stages, having drilled out only a very small portion of this six-mile uh, strike length, and then larger, a larger one beyond that, 60 miles, you say. But uh, what is your sense of... Um, you know, in the area, a deposit similar to this, what uh, that might be in production, what do you think might be a reasonable hunch at this stage? And it only, can only be a hunch, I realize, because you've got a lot of work to do. What, how do the economics look? You mentioned the saprolite, uh, the saprolite ore, which is really very easy, low-cost ore to work with, and it's on surface, so I think your mining cost would be low. How does it look, um, you know, just preliminarily here, what do you think about the economics of, of a potential project here? The economics look great. Our, our resource at a uh, gram and a half cutoff is 3.3 grams. That's huge. Um, and we're in saprolite. Um, we, uh, and, and that resource is uh, primarily in the indicated uh, category. That means it hangs together. It looks good. It, it looks good. And keep in mind that we've got a, a six-mile structure. Our resource is only in, uh, in uh, half a mile of it. Uh, and we have the same indications along that six uh six miles, and uh, we are, in fact, that's what we're testing right now. So, Jay, in my opinion, it looks real good. And How, how much drilling are you going to be doing uh, over the next six months, year, for a year, for example? For a year? Well, I can say for the next, uh, during the next three months, we will complete our uh, 50,000 feet of RC drilling. Uh -huh. After that, uh, and there is a small amount of auger drilling, after that it will be diamond drilling, and Hard to say how much. So a lot of step outs and just to, to map out the structure, the size of this thing, I guess, with the with the lower cost exactly. RC drilling. Yes, auger drilling. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're just we're, we're actually we run out of time already. There's so much to talk to you about here. You also have a property in the Nova Scotia. I guess that's not on the 
that's not really your main focus right now. So the main one is Molly. My goodness, it looks like you got an awful lot to chew on there. This is really a, sounds like a very exciting story, and I want to thank you very much for uh, for telling us about it, uh, our listeners about it, and we'll probably have you back sometime soon. I know we will to tell us more about it. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, and and your attention, uh, telling our, subscri- our our listeners about this. Now, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Ian McAvity, Pat Gorman, Roger Wiegand um, from Tempe, Arizona. They're going to tell you where they think the equity, debt, and precious metals markets are heading. So don't go away. We'll be right back. it's up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Merex Gold with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Trading Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. The next hour of this show was pre-recorded from the Voice of America studios in Tempe, Arizona, where I and two or three hundred other people are going to be gathering for the annual Wealth Protection Conference put together by Pat Gorman and his resource consultants firm. Pat's resource consultants firm is a full sponsor to the show and we're grateful to Pat for that. The Wealth Protection Conference is an annual event and it is one of the most enjoyable conferences that I go to because unlike most of them, as a newsletter writer, uh, where I'm bombarded by junior mining companies seeking coverage in my newsletter, this is a conference that I can go to and simply enjoy some great speakers uh, some great ideas and some great insights in the, on the economy and how we can protect ourselves against the ravages of inflation or deflation. Whatever is coming down our way, it doesn't look too good it, to most of us. Uh, in addition to myself and my partner, Roger Wiegand, other speakers here at the conference will be Richard Mayberry, Arch Crawford, Ian McAvity, Dave Morgan, commodity broker Jim Lyles, Dr. Yaron Brook, he's the president of the Ayn Rand Institute, and radio host and technical analyst Sinclair No, and of course Pat Gorman. I'm absolutely delighted to have uh, three of the folks that I just named uh, with me here in the studios of Voice America in Tempe, Arizona. Um, and that's the location where the Wealth Protection Conference is being held, that's uh, in Tempe, Arizona. With me in the studios are uh, Roger Wiegand, uh, Pat Gorman, and Ian McAvity. Uh, Dave Morgan was scheduled to be with us, but was unable to meet it uh, to be able to be at the studio here uh, at the time of the recording due to some log logistical issues. Uh, both uh, Pat and Roger have been prior guests on this show, and their biographies are posted on my website at, Vo at the Voice America uh, site. Pat is a regular guest of this show. Uh, as I noted, uh, he is uh, the proprietor of Resource Consultants. His biography, as well as that of Roger Wiegand, are displayed, uh, as I just noted, on the website. However, this is the first time that we've been honored to have Ian McAvity with us, and so just a word about Ian's background. He is the director of the Central Fund of Canada. Mr. McAvity has been involved in uh, the world of finance as a banker and broker for over 40 years, and since 1975 as an independent advisor and consultant specializing in the technical analysis of international equity, foreign exchange, and precious metals markets. His analysis and views have been published in Ian McAvity's Deliberations on World Markets newsletter continuously since 1972. Mr. McAvity is also a director and officer of Duncan Park Holdings Corporation. Welcome, Roger, Pat, and uh, Ian to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. In September of 2001, the World Trade Center towers were hit by two large-scale aircraft used as super missiles. A third plane crashed into the Pentagon shortly thereafter. A fourth plane uh, was attempting to, be, uh, to fly into Washington and was uh, taken down by some courageous, we're told, uh, people on that plane that uh, didn't want to see their nation's capital struck again. 
Um, it has been widely said that this was uh, a major event uh, that will uh, make America never, that America would never be the same as it was before September of 2001. In September 2008, America suffered a second attack, the one uh, on our financial system when Lehman Brothers collapsed, sending not only the U.S. equity markets but the global equity markets into a massive decline that was arguably the greatest uh, event, financial markets event, since the Great Depression. Setting aside questions of who was really behind both of those events, how would you uh, would like to hear from the three of you how would you rate the attack against our financial markets in 2008-2009 compared to the physical attacks of 2001? Which of the two attacks do you think will prove to be the most damaging to our, to our economy, our freedom, and our civil liberties? Uh, maybe we'll start with Roger. Would you like to comment on that first? Yes, Jay. The, uh, there are two different kinds of attacks. Obviously, 3,000 people roughly died in the, in the uh, tragedy in New York City. But the tragedy, and I call it a tragedy, a catastrophic tragedy in 2008 has done not only the, the tremendous damage that we suffered at the time of the crash in the, in the stock markets and the credit markets, but beyond that, the lingering effects, I think, are going to be felt throughout the world, not just in the United States, for many years to come. The problem being that the underlying bad credits that the banks are still holding and hiding in back offices, which they have not dealt with, have yet to implode. And if you look at what happened in the 1930s, there was a series of events from 29 to 34 to 37 where things generally went very bad very quickly. So the first one, if we repeat history again, would be the, the Lehman event, and, and from what I can see right now, uh, the banks are doing the same things all over again because the government bailed them out. They're going to do it again. And I think that we're going to get hit once more sometime this year in 2010 or next year in 2011. So it's, it's an unbelievable disaster and has not been fully addressed by any stretch of the imagination. Pat, I'd like your opinion. Uh, which was the more devastating to America? And then lastly, I want to ask uh, Ian from a Canadian perspective. But Pat, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I have to agree with Roger on a lot of things. However, I think the 2008 uh, uh, attack on our financial systems was worse. But I should, shouldn't say was worse. I should say is worse because I don't believe it's over with. I don't believe that it will be over with until the entire ills of the system are flushed. Now, many things were flushed uh, in 2008, the second half of 2008. Many things, like Roger said, were bailed out or they just threw more money at this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, you know, the banks are in, in uh, deeper doo-doo than, uh, than we all think. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, but we eventually will have to have a flushing of the system, in my opinion, for this to, uh, to get over it and to start to rebuild. Because uh, I, I don't see us making any turnaround anytime soon where, okay, now we've figured out the right thing to do mm -hmm. so we can move forward. Well, none of the right things have been, been, uh, been done yet. For instance, I just read on Zillow, if anybody's ever been to Zillow, it gives you uh, your property values all over, and they have great articles. Just the other day, I'm reading on Zillow that right now, there's 3.9 million uh, homes for sale in the United States, and they think if the U.S. banks let 
it be known how many they have in repossession, by the end of the year, that number could be 10 million homes. Wow. So they're, they've only let go of, what, 4 or 5% of the uh, repos that they've ever had? So they don't even know. I still think that... What needs to happen is, you guys remember the RTC, the Resolution mm -hmm. Trust yeah, Company? Absolutely. I mean, at, at the time, everybody thought it was ridiculous, but what they do is they flushed the system. I mean, they were selling stuff for 10 cents on the dollar, 5 cents on the dollar. The system got flushed. We got, to, we got the ability to start over. Right. And right now, they're just putting Band-Aid after Band-Aid on this entire financial system, and it's not going to do any good. It's going to get worse until they flush it. Right. So they left the markets work. They left the markets fine, their equilibrium value. And as you say, sometimes it was 10 cents on the dollar, but nonetheless, the markets were allowed to work. I read the, in the papers this morning that Obama is proposing more money to... Uh, to people whose homes are underwater, you know, who cannot, um, you know, their homes are worth less than what their mortgages are. He's proposing another major plan to subsidize those people to try to uh, uh, to keep them in their homes. So uh, clearly, that's it's the opposite uh, approach. Rather than letting the markets determine some equilibrium, some realistic level, there seems to be this ongoing fight to try to uh, to try to keep. Um, uh, to keep the markets from speaking, quite frankly. But Ian, from your perspective as a Canadian, you saw sitting up there in uh, safety of Toronto, away from New York, watching the towers get hit, no doubt. And uh, so, what are your thoughts in terms of the two the two attacks on America? Which one uh, which one is most devastating? Well, 2001 was, certainly was an attack on America, and it's the consequences from it that uh, I find most troubling. And that basically was the, just the invasiveness and the complete loss of privacy throughout the American system. It, in a sense, they shredded what little was left of the Constitution uh, as a consequence of 2001. The 2008, uh, to me, I wouldn't call it an attack. It was a natural culmination of about 15 years of living beyond your means, mm -hmm. where essentially they ran out of scotch tape to hold it together and the bubble burst. You know, I used to give talks regularly that we had a wave for a generation of consumers because of the home equity loans and the home equity spending where they were eating their house one brick at a time. Mm. Mm. You know, the, you know the, the family house was traditionally a family asset, but suddenly it became a credit line. And when you turn your house into an ATM machine, it runs out of money. Right. And in essence, whether it was Lehman or which firm was going to blow up, it really started with the bear collapse. But... and. You had a financial system collapse that is, I agree with Pat's comment, we're not even halfway through it yet. Mm -hmm. you know, and from an, a long-term analytical perspective, to me, this is the culmination of something that really started back in the 70s or 80s. Mm -hmm. You peaked in 2000 with the, uh, the high-tech boom. Mm -hmm. You then had the financial system fall apart in 2007. We're now dealing with the third world situation where you've got bubbles going in other parts of the world. And... There's a generation that thinks that somehow by doubling the national debt in the last couple of years that America can buy its way out. Mm. I don't think you can. I think the American standard of living is, is going to be adjusted down and it will stay down for probably another 10 or 15 years. Don't the, you think, let me just ask you this, yeah, Ian, yeah. don't you think that the real problem financially in this country started 
1973 when Nixon took us off the gold standard? Don't you think that we're here because of that? Or 1971. 1971, excuse me, I got that wrong. But don't you think this whole thing is an accumulation of us going off the gold standard? Well, you can go one step further. It starts on April Fool's Day, 1968, with Lyndon Johnson's uh, (laughs) guns and butter speech that we can basically, we can have a social program and fight a war without paying for it. That's right. right. Because that, what that did then was uh, we didn't pay for it. We issued debt, and De Gaulle told America to go to hell. He didn't want our paper dollars anymore. He right. wanted real money. And there was a raid on the U.S. Yeah. Uh, Treasury for gold, and that's when Nixon said, to hell with you. We're the, Amer- the United States of America. We've got the military. We're going to do what we damn well please. And we shut down the, uh, the gold standard, the international gold standard, went to a paper money standard. And that's exactly my thoughts, Ian, as I heard you talking about. This is not an event that just happened Recently, this has been an event that's been in the making. It's been building up with malinvestment, huge amounts of excessive credit and money that has led to a to a tragedy, really, to a to a decline of a nation, really. Well, it's the con- it's the consequence it's the consequence of a long, great cycle that has been seen before. Right. You know, in essence, uh, there's no difference between John Law and Alan Greenspan. Well, and this is very good uh, because I see lots of people on my radio show, people that I read all the time. People who have an ability to go back and look at history, that can go back and see that cycles, that history does repeat, it, or it rhymes at least, mm-hmm. that there is nothing is exactly the same. Uh, and Ian, I know in your deliberations newsletter, you have a lot of really long-term charts. I know, Pat, you look at, the, at history too. Right. Roger, all three mm-hmm. of us around this table look at history a lot. And that's what I think we're missing. If you go on CNBC every day, what you're going to get, you know, a lot of young guys out of college, that, 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 you know, fairly young guys, are making a lot of money very fast and know very little. And they're just uh, repeating, regurgitating what they wrote in their little blue books for their test exams. Mm-hmm. Keynes is good. Keynes is good. Keynes is good. Mm-hmm. Spend, spend, spend. So that's where I think we're at. Well, we just, uh, we just passed a bill in the United States, a health care legislation that is landmarked, it's being called. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts, if this might not be a third, if you want to call it an attack, on the American <laughs> financial system. Any thoughts? Um, Ian, I think you've written something in your latest newsletter. Would you care to comment just a little bit about it? Yeah, I would definitely say this is, a, this is an attack of the taxation system. You basically, at this point, you've got Count Dracula desperately hooking up an IV line into what's left of corporate America and of wealthy America. And I would revert back to that wonderful line that Margaret Thatcher used some years back, that if they're planning on taxing the rich, they're going to find out they run out of rich pretty quickly. Mm. It's a massive tax increase on the economy, and yeah. again, it's an invasion into the individual liberty of American citizens. I just wish the current generation at some point will meet in some other world and have to sit down and explain to the, the framers of your Constitution just exactly what they've done to it. Oh, exactly. Well, now, but you're from Canada, yeah. and you've had a national health care plan for some time. Uh, what I hear from my Canadian friends, they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. What do you? Th- I mean, how it's, do you look at it? It and how functions. Does, yeah, it functions. functions very well. Uh, the most controversial period was resolved about eight or ten years ago. At one point, they wanted to ban the option of having the ability to go and pay for extra services, and that was where the real outrage came in. Like, mm-hmm. if I need something in a hurry, I'm going to come down to the U.S. and pay cash for it. Mm-hmm. It's not covered by the health plan. But for anyone with a real need, and I've had incidents in my life where I've had to go to the emergency ward and, you know, you wait a few hours, but any, any system basically is going to end up waiting a few hours. To me, the problem with the U.S. system 
has been this content the, the concept of contingency lawsuits that's mm. driven the cost of U.S. Medicare mm. or the medical system so high. There's no other country in the world that does that. Mm -hmm. And I always hark back to the example of the you know, the lady that poured a cup of coffee of McDonald's coffee in her lap and won a four million dollar yes. lawsuit, and that led to the excessive premiums. The insurance premiums. So, to me, the problem with the U.S. medical system is contingency lawsuits, crazy courts, and trial lawyers. I think the other thing, too, is there's no competition. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they pretty much let the competition go. You, everybody that's listening has seen these auto insurance commercials. They're on every other commercial on every station mm -hmm. in the world because it's pretty well unregulated. No matter what state you're in, you can buy auto insurance from 16,000 different companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those prices have come crashing down. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that the, all, you know, tort reform is number one. Number two is, is let insurance companies sell it all over the United States and have it become competitive. Right. The free market will take care of itself. Right. It always has. Right. It's the only proven form of real marketing. The only proven form of true economy is the free market and what this bill is doing is stripping us of the free markets we had left which they've been taking away from us for the last 40 years right and even in the healthcare area from what I understand is that there's a lot of regulation uh, intrastate that is uh, you know uh, you don't have that free competition that you're talking about, Pat. We haven't oh, had as it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. States are not free to go uh, across states. I mean, uh, insurance companies to insure. I can't pick up the same insurance companies in Pennsylvania as I can in New York, for example. So obviously the, the regulator, the uh, politicians have gotten involved in interfering with the marketplace and not allowing it to work even before this. But as you're suggesting, that's a massive, a massive change. I saw it was going to cost, uh, the estimated cost is $1.2 trillion dollars a year, and Dr. Robert McHugh, who I read uh, faithfully almost every day, was pointing out that 17%, uh, I think, of Americans do not have some kind of coverage now. We'll get down to 5%, uh, and it's going to cost us $1.2 trillion a year. Uh, Roger, you had some thoughts on the health care? Yeah, the, uh, like we just mentioned on the, uh, on the, uh, the 2008 and forward thing, uh, financial problems uh, that really did not occur just, just last year or the year before. It's been building since way back in the 60s. One of the things that people forget about in the healthcare system is this. Many years ago, uh, the, the healthcare system was primarily between uh, a doctor, uh, maybe an insurance company and the patient, but the insurance companies for the most part uh, were rather quiet and passive. Then came the health maintenance organizations, the HMOs, and as I understand it today, 25% of all the health care costs go to administration and overhead within the HMOs. Mm. And this continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And there's people in these companies that make huge seven-figure salaries. So that's a part of the health care plan as well. The next thing is, and more recently in this health care war that we're having with the government today, is that... Uh, the statistics that keep getting thrown around are so varied. Uh, a lot of it is just baloney and fiction. One of the things that I've learned in, in reading a lot of uh, facts about this whole problem is that there aren't really 30 million people that are uninsured that do, in fact, want insurance. It's more like 12 million people. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of cu coming at us with a big ponderous plan that's going to waste so much money and turn upside down something that mostly works, they should address the 12 million people who, in fact, can't get health insurance and do want it. And if they would focus only on that group first, they would be much better off. 
And as Pat was saying, if the, if the thing was more competitive across all states instead of controlled inter, inter, interstate, just within one state itself, the, it would get a lot more competitive. The prices would, in fact, come down. And the lawsuits, of course, are the other big problem. I think that what's going to happen next is that we're seeing the early stages of a tremendous backlash from the American public. They were very unhappy with all the backroom deals and the bribes and all the crooked stuff that went on to get this bill passed in the United States. And I suspect that the elections this fall are going to do a pivot reverse on the political parties. The Republicans will take over Congress and perhaps maybe even the Senate. And then after that, I think our president is gone and is replaced in 2012 with a new president. And then after that, in 2013, I think that the Congress will, if, if in fact is controlled by the GOP, will step forward to repeal the entire act and or slash out all the big spending and, and, and try to get the program uh, squared away and in a more operable fashion, uh, in, a, in a fashion that we can potentially afford. But even at that time, considering our financial problems that we're dealing with today, that in my, in my view are absolutely terrible, or some of them are terrifying, particularly pensions and municipalities, I think that uh, it's going to be a long road to try to get this thing squared away. Well, uh, certainly we're looking at uh, some really, really difficult uh, times financially. It's hard to see, you know, where we're at. Um, it's, it's hard to see where we're going to come out with this. And, Roger, I don't know if you're putting in a plug for the GOP or not. I'll tell you <laughs> that I'm certainly not going to be putting in a plug for the GOP any more than the... the, the than I'm not drunk. putting in a plug for those, them. That's just, they just happen to be in the way, and that's well, where I think it's going to be the vote. opposition, and, and yeah. you know, but what will they do? That's the problem. And, and I think we get back to the same issue that we talked about a little earlier uh, uh, to, uh, in uh, seven, uh, 1971 when we went off the gold standard. I was just thinking here, as you were talking about the insurance company executives making huge amounts of money, the fiat currency system essentially reallocates wealth away from those who produce it to those who control the system. I had a hedge fund manager, young guy with all kinds of Ivy League degrees, just finished his medical degree, and his partner, hedge fund partner, a Yale law degree, come to me and wanted to have lunch, wanted to learn about some of the companies I'm looking at They were interested in possibly investing in some of them. And I had lunch with him in New York the other day. And these guys, uh, you know, instead of becoming doctors and lawyers, well, I don't know about the lawyer part of it, but the doctor at least, we would have thought uh, a fellow probably had something to offer humankind. He's not going to be doing medicine because he's, the doctors are being squeezed and have been squeezed for years and years in America. I can, I've seen it with my own, my own um, family physician. Uh, they're, not, they're not living as well as they once did. Doctors used to live very well in America. And they had a tremendous so. amount of discretionary money. They threw it everywhere. Yeah. And now they're just lucky if they can maintain their lifestyle exactly. and pay their bills. Exactly. So this young fella, you know, with, with, uh, with a Harvard and Yale degree and, uh, you know, medical degree, ready to practice medicine, said, I don't need this. I don't need to be harassed. I don't need to work these long, you know, huge long hours and, and make next to nothing or living an average you know, middle class uh, or barely subsistence. I mean, young guys can't live in Manhattan anymore and become doctors. They can't afford the rents and so forth. So this is where we're going. Well, the bigger picture then, though, is where, where is this U.S. economy going? Where are we going longer term? <coughs> I have, uh, we're coming up on a break in a few minutes, but here's, I just want to introduce this and we can talk about it on the other side of the commercial break. I have two highly competent Elliott Wave analysts on my radio show on a regular basis. Dr. Robert McHugh is one. Uh, and he's been fairly frequent, a fairly frequent guest on my show, and I've had Robert Prechter as well. 
uh, on my show one time and hope to have him back again sometime. And Roger Wiegand, who's a regular guest, is also an Elliott Wave proponent. Uh, Dr. McHugh has suggested that we are likely facing what he calls a, quote, cataclysmic nation-changing event to correct the bull market that started in 1718. Robert Prechter uh, has also suggested that things could deteriorate to the point where, we, where civilization finds itself back in the dark ages. And both of these Elliott Wave guys uh, call this a grand super cycle, su suggesting that this decline will likely be a magnitude worse than what our grandparents saw in the 1930s. Prechter is calling for a Dow below 600. McHugh is saying, says something in the range of zero to 1,000 is quite possible for the Dow. Most everyone dismisses these views as extreme, if not outright lunacy. They point to the rise in stocks since March of 2009 uh, as evidence that conventional Keynesian economics is, in fact, working. Uh, they project uh, the current good times to uh, last indefinitely into the future, much as was the case after uh, the 19, um, uh, much as has happened, you know, most of the time since uh, in the last two or three or four decades, we just pump money in the system, system picks up again, it breathe, life is breathed into it, and away we go and we have some more seeming prosperity. So here's a question, I, we, I guess we could start before the break and just ask, uh, looking at the longer term picture, how do you guys see the current market? Are we in a, first of all, are we in a secular bear market? Uh, with the likelihood that the, 19, that the 2009 lows will be taken out again. I'd just go around, maybe starting with you, Ian, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we are in a secular, a secular sideways to down period that starts from the year 2000. Uh, I do expect to see the March 2009 low broken. Mm. They certainly will be tested whether they're broken at the first try, but sometime in the next three or four years, I'm, I'm quite sure they will be broken. All right. Don't you know what I mean? I just put thumbs up when he said 2000 because I remember in 2000 trying to explain to people that this was the beginning of a secular bear market. Secular bear markets, you can, you know, what we had from two, March or April or whatever in 2000 to the, the highs was nothing more than a secular bear market rally. And kind of a fake thing because it wasn't real money that was being used anyway, okay? In uh, secular bear markets, the way I learned it years ago, are never over until you at least match your lows or go lower than your current lows when mm -hmm. in 2000. Mm -hmm. So that means that we've got to go at least down to 7,000 on the Dow. Mm -hmm. At least down to 7,000. But at this point in time, even the government doesn't have money to bail out Wall Street. I mean, there's going to come a place where they have to stop. They can't do it. So, you know, when it went to 72, 7,400 and 2,000, mm -hmm. that was government money that first came in to bail that market out. It wasn't mom and pop. Even today, I understand there's still $3.5 trillion of mom and pop's money on the sideline that's never come in. So from March of 2009 to now, in my opinion, has all been institutional money, bailout money, created money, fake money, even faker than the real money that's in your pocket. Well, certainly. I mean, and the big housing debacle that we're going through now was created in this artificial means when Greenspan's Fed pumped huge amounts of money to try to to keep the recession from from getting under uh, you know from keep the markets from really doing their job in two reality is though 2012 remember that so we only got to worry about life and it's over in 2012 so you know just live your life have fun do what you well, can see how much this, money you can get out of the government and tell them about this 2012 thing it's something we're gonna have to pick your brains on when we come back I don't right. know about 2012 that's the a, Mayan the Mayan calendar ends in oh December we need our, you've got well, yes we, you've got Mayan calendar you've got Nostradamus you've got astrology astronomy we should have our 
Archie here with us. Well, we should have Arch Crawford, and he's going to be at your resource uh, at your at your show today, right. and we will have him on uh, later. And we'll tell people later in the show how they can hear Arch's ideas as well as the rest of the speakers at your show uh, sure. after we come back at the break. And then Roger, I'll ask you to comment on that last issue as well. We're going to go uh, to our commercial break, and we'll be right back with Roger Regan, Pat Gorman, and Ian McAvitty. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. 
Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we're back here with Ian McAvity, um, Roger Wiegand, and Pat Gorman. Uh, at the break, Roger, we were just talking a little bit about this uh, long-term, what Robert McHugh calls cataclysmic nation-changing event, and the question is whether or not uh, whether or not you thought we were going to be uh, taking out the March lows, whether we were going another shoe was going to drop, and we were going to head into a massive, a massive decline in equity prices and, and perhaps overall deflation. We'll get to the issue of inflation and deflation in the economy and in the markets in a minute or two. But what I know that you practice Elliott Wave. You look at Elliott Wave uh, uh, accounts and so forth. What are your thoughts about? the longer-term picture. You know, right now it's very difficult. Most people don't believe it. We've had, uh, since the March lows, we've had quite a nice bounce up. Uh, you will turn on CNBC and everything is honky-dory. Uh, there's no reason to worry. Let's restore confidence. So if you're a really good American, you'll have confidence in, in this economy, in your country. And if you're not, if you don't have confidence, well, you're probably a, a bloody traitor. So, Roger, do you have confidence? You're a bloody traitor. <laughs> I've got confidence in my trading, but not in the system the way it is, for sure. One of the things that I think that we can start with on this history business is that uh, we are in a secular bear market. I agree with McHugh's analysis. Bob and I trade newsletters, and frequently we are very close in our numbers and our forecasts. Three or four times we've been almost exactly on the same number, which is really interesting. But, you know, uh, Elliott Wave is mathematics, and, you know, you're either right or you're wrong. But let's back up just a moment and say this. In the year 2000, that was really the signal year for the K-wave crash, uh, as your friend Ian Gordon has talked mm -hmm. about in the past. 1929, 1999, and right on schedule, the NASDAQ went down the drain from like, what was it, 4,500 or 5,000 all the way down to next to nothing. Mm -hmm. It was a basically thousand. a wipeout. And the rest of the markets at that time would have done the same thing. However... As things deteriorated in 2001, we had the 9-11 event, Mr. Greenspan ran to the rescue on his white horse and took the interest rates from like 5 or 6 down to 1%. Well, he flushed the system with money. Exactly. Money he created threw, out of nothing. He threw millions and zillions of dollars into the pile so that people would spend and try to save things. And he did, in fact, prop the rest of the stock markets. Only the NASDAQ fell down the drain. The rest of them were temporarily got the Band-Aid, and they went up. Now, that K-wave event that didn't happen in 2000 with the other markets is coming. I don't think there's any question about it, and I think the rest of the panel here would agree today. So I think that uh, all Mr. Greenspan did was prolong the agony, got the householders in a position where they, they over mortgage their homes, uh, spent out all their equity, and many of them, millions of them are broke now and they're losing their homes, and they're at a position where 
the comeback is going to take many, many years. But the next shoe to drop, in my view, and I agree with Bob McHugh on this and other cycle people, that we're looking at a span of time between May and July this year when we think there's about five major negative events that are converging. One of those is $40 billion in credit cards going bad. Another one of those is the auto report sales for the first half of the year are going to hit. And number next, the commercial real estate people and the REITs and the big commercial real estate loans, those are going to start to go bad. And guess who holds the paper? The insurance companies. So they're going to be damaged as well. Then it goes even deeper because the municipalities are invested in a lot of this paper hoping to get average returns of about 8% a year, which is preposterous. They're not going to get the 8%, and they're going to find their pension funds empty, and this is going to throw an additional burden on the national government because in the end, they're the lender of last resort, and they're obliged to cover all the failing pensions. So there's no question the tech analysis uh, the Elliott Wave stuff works. I do Elliott Wave light. That's what I call it, not the real fine stuff. But my programs are not as technical and elegant as Bob McHugh's, but we frequently end up on the same trend and pretty close to the same numbers. Okay, Roger. So would you say that this secular bear market then began in 2000? And so, rather than in nineteen, uh, rather than two thousand and seven, absolutely, and I think totally Ian, you agree. agree with yeah. that yes. as well. And exactly, so, that, that was the line so, in the sand. Yeah. Okay. So we had new highs in the Dow, uh, considerably new highs in the Dow, and the Nasdaq. I think maybe marginal, or uh, not the Nasdaq. No. The the S and P made marginal new highs. S and P made marginally yeah. higher highs, but highs. very very marginal. Right. So that we're really looking at, uh, and so nothing really was accomplished except more pain and misery, more indebtedness by. Uh, Greenspan's uh, 1% interest rates for a long period of time, and now we're trying to do it again. If we have a bubble now, what is the current bubble? Is it a debt bubble? I mean, we, you know, so since we had the, the, the Lehman Brothers collapse, we've had, uh, you know, Bernanke pumping money into the system and, and all kinds of bailouts beyond belief. Um, and we've had interest rates at not at 1%, but at zero basically for a while now and for quite a while. What are we having a bubble? Are we having a debt bubble now? Is that what the situation is, Ian? I think I think you've absolutely got a debt bubble underway. I won't get into the math of it because I'm not sure that I even understand it. But you, this week, the flood of uh, Treasury paper that's been issued was very badly bid, and you actually now have U.S. government swaps trading below corporate. Mm. So, you, you know, in theory, the United States government cannot default. They can print, mm -hmm. but they can't default on their mm -hmm. debt. But you have long-term corporate, high-rated corporate issues now yielding less than long-term U.S. government paper. Wow, that's Nobody can really explain what is going on at this point, but that tells you the extent to which they've distorted the financial system. And if you look at the schedule, they're projecting the, the deficits are in the trillions as far as the eye can see. And basically, the, 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 the existing credit market system is now creaking from the hinges. And I don't know how it's going to fall off. I just know that there's no, I, I can't envision a happy ending. I mean, the markets would seem to be saying then that there's more confidence in, in some of these AAA-rated corporations than in U.S. paper, in uh, U.S. Treasury. Let me change one word. There's probably, right now, there's more comfort. Oh. In AAA, in AAA paper, because a corporation is real and can't be changed by the sausage-making process uh, <laughs> that we've seen in Congress. 
<laughs> I got a question though, because yeah. Roger said it and and Ian just said it. Unless they're going to have to print money, the United States government's going to have to print money. You're saying that if they have to cover the pensions, the government's got to cover the pension. They got to print money. Jay, how do we end up printing money if the definition of inflation, according to Daniel Webster, is an increase in the money aggregate? How do we end up in a deflationary economy? Well, that's a... Does the money just disappear? Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good question, and I honestly mean, I have some ideas about this since I'm the host. I'd rather not spend too much time talking about my own ideas. Uh, answer, answer the question. Answer your own I, question. I, well, see, I, I, because think I, know gonna, I think we've got both. I mean, the yeah. question's been asked and bantered. I think, mm -hmm. I think what was it, three or four years ago, it was asked of uh, Sinclair No mm -hmm. at one of our conferences, the first time I, somebody says inflation, deflation, and Sinclair stands up and goes, yes. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've long argued. And you, you've done the same I've thing, yes. Argued, we've had I've both. Long, I've long argued that they're actually both the same. And if you think in the old-fashioned context of your checking account and your savings account, Mm -hmm. Inflation basically is the erosion of purchasing power in your checking account. The deflation is the collapse of the asset values in your savings account. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, to, to me, both forces are underway. Even George Soros said it this year. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why my theory, which you were trying to get at earlier, yeah. is, is that, you know, you, you hear this uh, massive deflationary collapse. You hear hyperinflation in the United States of America. Well, my definition of hyperinflation through history is in massive increase in wages and prices. Right. Well, I can see if you keep printing money that the prices are going to go up. I don't see any wage inflation. Mm -hmm. So my I fear, which you know I've said this before, yes. is going into an inflationary depression like South American countries did. Zimbabwe just went in. We've seen it before. I think the collapse of the French fiat currency was more of a, uh, a defla an inflationary depression than it was mm -hmm. hyperinflation, was it not, Ian? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, uh, that's, Jay, that's really scary stuff. That, that's Jay, the worst the, of all worlds, in, right. my, in yeah. my view, Pat. Go ahead, Roger. One, one of the easiest ways to measure inflation that can be applied to common sense as you look back, uh, older people in particular, they, they can remember when prices were a lot different and a lot lower. I, for example, remember in 1979 when I bought a brand new Oldsmobile 98 loaded. I paid $9,300 for the car. When now was this, Roger? This was in 1979. The car, the car loaded, an Olds 98, was $9,300. I wrote a check. I paid cash for the car. That was comparable in those days to a Cadillac Sedan DeVille, pretty much the same body style and everything. Now, today, that same car, Oldsmobile, of course, is history. They're gone. However, Cadillac is still in business, and a comparable car now, MSRP, is between forty-five dollars and $50,000. So if you look from 79 to present day, that shows you what's happened to your spending power and your dollars, and that shows you what inflation will do. And there are many other examples. Women and housewives in particular that do shopping are very sharp buyers in the, in the grocery store. And they have their daily measures of different products that they buy. And they watch the prices go up and up and up. And they don't all go together. They go sporadically. And, and, uh, and it's confusing people, but it's, it's insidious because it sneaks up on you. Well, I, I realize that. I mean, there's no question that we've had massive inflation, especially since we went off the international gold standard in 1971. You can look at the enormous amount of growth in the monetary aggregates then. But what I also would suggest is that when you have these periods of credit market deflation, as we saw post-Lehman Brothers, 
uh, and and when wager when when people are losing their jobs, you have high levels of unemployment. You're not getting ma- you're not getting spending power in the hands of the masses. Pat, you said the wages aren't going up. Right. Wages are, you know, it's pr- wage pressure everywhere. Uh, how do you how do you get this? What Keynes called? I don't like to don't like to talk about Keynes too much, but I think he was onto a few things. I mean, effective demand. If I put the money in the hands of people who don't have uh, money to put uh, shoes on their kids' feet and pay the rent, they'll you give them that money, they'll go out and do it. If they don't use it for alcohol or something else, they'll go out and do it. How do you how do we get to an inflationary environment now when you see that 10% of all American the, the, all loans are in default in the United States? The banks aren't making loans. You can pump money into the system as happened in the 1930s. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can pump money into the banking system, but you can't make the banks lend. Why? Because they can't find any credit-worthy borrowers. Corporations, yes, corporations, some of them are in pretty good shape. But overall, you've got a housing problem that won't go away, as we talked about earlier. The money isn't in the hands of the masses. You have to get velocity of money rolling over, too, in my view, to see a massive inflation, and we're not seeing that. After Lehman Brothers, we saw this... Uh, you know, we, we, we actually did see some periods of deflation. I have put something I call together, something together I call my inflation deflation watch, which is a measure of all kinds of commodities and stocks and, um, and various, various items that are really important, to, you know, in terms to try to get a sense of the overall, whether the global economy is expanding or contracting. And what we saw there for a brief period of time after Lehman Brothers was a negative. I started my index in January of uh, uh, 2005 at 100 and it had gone down to 97 something briefly then they started the pumping process again but again all we're really doing is creating more debt the debt is growing exponentially the income is growing if at all in a linear fashion and you're seeing more and more insolvency so where does this come out now I could see if they literally took helicopter money and I think Ian you use this picture already of scattering it over uh, Walmart parking lots, perhaps. Well, a year, a right. year ago, or a year and a half ago, when they actually proposed the $700 billion TARP program, the comment I made at your conference, Pat, and in several other speeches, was that if they had taken that $700 billion and printed a billion $100 or $700 uh, $100 bills and dropped them in Walmart parking lots, that money would get spent in the economy. Right. And unfortunately, all of that money just went into the black hole of the U.S. banking system, the right. New York banking system, basically. Right. Right, so that the Goldman Sachs guys could maintain their lifestyle. And that's what you're going to have to have. That's the fear that you have. Mm-hmm. However, you know, most people, when they look at inflation, they go, or Roger says, they go to the grocery mm-hmm. store and see that their tomatoes have gone up, it doubled in price over a number of years, okay, yes. or a number of months. So that is inflation, yes. as the textbook would say, inflation. Yes. But they don't have any money. They don't, they're getting less and less money as they're getting there. So you've got both sides yeah. really beating on each other. Yeah. You need to have velocity. You need what Ian says. You need to inject that money into the economy. And doesn't most money injected in the economy turn over 3.2 times or whatever it is? Um, they should have taken, they should, instead of bailing out these big guys, if they're going to bail it out and put the money in anyway, why not give it, you know, a, a you know, when they gave everybody, what, $600 or whatever it was? Yeah, right. You know, why didn't they give everybody 6000 or $60,000 each? I mean, it was made up. We don't have the money anyway. It's made out of thin air anyway. You, if you gave everybody fifty grand in this country, you would have an economy like you haven't seen since the 50s. Yeah, I think Robert McHugh has proposed that what they should have done was take the last three years of taxes and just uh, paid them back to the American people and left them go with it. But uh, in any event, I, uh, Roger, you any thoughts on that? 
No, I agree with McHugh. I remember when he when he wrote that in his letter. He said instead of wasting the money on those banks and their and their lifestyle, if they had taken the money and given it to the consumers, they would have immediately spent it, and, and the economy would have righted the ship pretty much. But uh, the inflation deflation argument continues to rage, and I I would I would suggest that somewhere along the line, I think we're mostly in deflation now, with some edgy inflation coming in certain things. One example would be in energy this year. Oil has gone back up to 81, 82. It was way back at whatever, way back down in the, the 30s or 40s. And uh, there's other things primarily in food and food-related items that are in, in the inflation posture right now. And you've got a lot of uh, build-in pensions right now that are creating inflation. Now, Social Security adjustments were, were basically stopped so the cost of living was was avoided so the government could save a lot of money and not spend on on the uh, on the cola payments but I, I i would suggest on the whole idea that somewhere along the line they're going to have to print so fast and put so much cash out there that we will in fact hit higher inflation and ha are in danger of hitting hyperinflation but after that event which would happen very quickly in a matter of weeks I think you'll see a pivot reversed, and it'll go right back into deflation again. I okay, mean, that's, well, that's what happened in Germany and some of the other places. Okay, we, we, I know I've had John Williams on my show, economist John Williams, who, uh, who really sort of tears a, apart the government numbers. And Williams' thesis for hyperinflation is really a dollar that's going to crash. It's going to collapse. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'd like some thoughts around the table. Ian, uh, what are your charts saying to you about the dollar? Well, basically, that you know, people talk about the price of gold going up. Mm -hmm. the, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. Right. When the price of gold has gone from one thousand to twelve hundred, that just means that the U.S. dollar has lost two hundred dollars an ounce of purchasing power. Right. And in, in essence, the U.S. dollar is, has an unbelievable number of claims against it to its populace that cannot be met. Mm -hmm. You know, the state pension plans, all the benefits that are out there are going to have to be reneged on. And so one way or the other, they're going to end up printing IOUs to some degree to try and paper them over. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see how it is going to work. There's a divisiveness post-health care that really worries me. And in my newsletter this week, I made the comment that there's a divisiveness that reminds me of a statement that was alleged to have been made by LBJ back in 1968. The people of South Vietnam are going to have a democracy whether they want it or not. Uh -huh. And that's a frightening tone to hear in this country. Mm -hmm. Well, George Bush had a couple of those comments that, they were, that we were really going around the world to create democracies for these people, and they better mm -hmm. get used to it because this is what they're going to have. <laughs> I, it's just like, what's that all about? You know, I got a question, though, uh, you know, because I'm asking this question, even though I, I, I'm a gold purveyor, okay, silver purveyor, but I read your guys' letter and your material for one thing is, what should I do? I mean, mm -hmm. people ask me, you know, I want to buy some gold, Pat, but what else should I do? I'm asking them, and I'm asking you guys, mm -hmm. what should I do? I mean, got to have, you know, we've been talking about this, but but I'm sure people are wondering, oh, fine, guys, you're talking about it, but what should I do with my money, whatever little money I have? Well, and this gets to the question also, in my view, um, of which way does this pathology, this, glo this economic, global economic pathology play out? 
do we deflate or do we inflate? And okay, gold is good in both cases. But I, I'll tell you this, that if we have an, a hyperinflation, a runaway inflationary environment, I'm not so sure I like the gold mining shares as well as I do in a deflationary environment where the cost of producing the stuff goes down relative to the price of gold. So it's not, uh, so, so I guess it's a very difficult question to answer, but let's go around the table. Roger, what do you think? What, what should people be doing right now? Let's say you're an average guy with a, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar portfolio or something, and uh, you're, you know, in your 50s or 60s, and, you know, how should you invest? The very first thing I would do is I would try to control risk. I would, that would be number one, and try to get as many debts as possible paid off. Most people are stuck with a mortgage, and they can't afford to pay it off. So what do you do with the rest of the money you've got remaining? The first thing I would do, and what I suggest to our readers and investors is, on the first $100,000 of available investable cash, 10% of it ought to be in physical gold and silver. And I suggest either American coins or Canadian coins. Those are the two that I like the best. Number next, I think that they should have enough cash in their hand in, in, in the country denominated where they live so that they can pay their bills for at least 30 days minimum and more likely 90 days is better. Uh, the weather is fouled up right now. There's all kinds of emergencies out there. When the power goes off, everything stops. So you really need some cash in the house. The next thing I would do is I would have provisions in the house so that you can operate without having to run to the store every rip stitch. I see the kids in McDonald's using a credit card to buy lunch, which I find absolutely ridiculous. Their, their situation, people that are living on plastic like that, I mean, when plastic stops, you're dead meat. I mean, you've got nowhere to go. So that's, that's pure folly. The next thing I would invest in is I would invest in some good junior mining stocks and be selective so that you can earn something and, and, and try to build your retirement. We do not like bonds at all right now. In fact, we reported on the bond market last week. Ian elaborated on what happened. I said the same thing in my letter. The auction went very badly. We saw a drop in the 30-year bond of almost two full points before I came to this show on either Monday or Tuesday. A one-point drop on the 30s in one day is a bad day. A two-point drop is scary. And uh, we're getting to the point where this bond short that we've been talking about for two or three years is going to cave in. So consequently, the investors and what you're saying about should not have any of this kind of paper in their portfolio. And I especially would not have any municipal bonds. Okay, Roger, well, the bond short that you're talking about, but when I look at the U.S. Treasury and I go back and look at the bull market that started in 1982, uh, it's still right smack dab in the up, in the up channel, basically. Uh, I know we've been talking about, we've been thinking for the longest time that the U.S. Uh, the US bond market, the Treasury market, the long-term rates have got to skyrocket. How the heck are we going to finance all this stuff, especially if China is stepping away now? The creditor nations are saying we've had enough of your paper. And one idea that's come to me from a, uh, a former trader in Toronto is that uh, Uncle Ben Bernanke can buy unlimited amounts of paper until the U.S. government owns all of it. Is that an answer? Now, this is a little off track because we, we were talking here about what should people do. I didn't want to get into the interest rates and the bond market scenario. We've only got four minutes to go yet. But, uh, but uh, Ian, in terms of the mix of what, what should people do right now, should they... I have to ask you this. You're involved in a founder, I believe, of the Central Fund of Canada. Yeah. How to best own gold is a big question, you know. Mm -hmm. I believe, Roger's right, physical, you start with physical gold and silver. You have that in some safe place where you, you know where it is. 
I don't like ETFs because ETFs, I think, are, you know, are, are wrought with all kinds of risks. Uh, they're financial instru- instruments, essentially, that are in the hands of the same guys that would like to send all the gold in the world to the moon if they could. Mm-hmm. Central Fund of Canada actually owns the gold and silver, and it is in my portfolio, I must say. I like Central Fund of Canada. It owns gold and silver. Tell us about Central Fund of Canada because I think that's a good way for people, one way for people to own gold and silver. I've always said that the number one way to own gold is in the form of recognized coins in your own hand. When we created Central Fund or converted Central Fund of Canada in 1983 to become a stock exchange tradable proxy for gold, one of the big attractions for American investors is the fact that it's a Canadian entity with a physical ratio of 50 ounces of silver for each one ounce of gold. The bullion is audited and it's held in Canadian banks. And in more recent times, I've said Americans used to have this fear that Franklin Roosevelt might get reelected again. And I've recently been adding to that. Maybe he has been. (laughs) Pat, now, Pat, you're a purveyor of gold and silver products. And and tell people about, you know, where they can learn more about your work. Well, the reality to me is if you ask me what what I think a person should invest in, people that are listening to the show are already halfway home because they're investing in their intelligence. I think one of the problems with the Joe, you know, Johnny Sixpack, whatever blue-collar worker out there, and even some, you know, executives, is they've let somebody else take care of them all these years. I think the number one thing for people to invest in is education. Educate themselves. Learn about this stuff. You know, subscribe to your newsletters. Find out what's really going on and, and subscribe to several different newsletters, but learn how to make your own decisions. I think that except for gold, physical gold, and of course, obviously, I'm going to think that because that's the business I'm in, but I think even if I wasn't, the rest of it, I don't know of anything else out there to get married to, okay? I mean, I I love mining stocks. Central Fund of Canada is probably going to be my longest hold these days. Mining stocks, I can't get married to them. I have to watch them closely. I have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to re-enter, know when to exit, but... You know, my regular Joe Broker or financial planner is not going to tell me that. They're going to tell me to buy a mutual fund that they get a 12B1 payback on. And that's all they're going to do. So people need to wake up and take care of themselves. And this is where you wanted me to talk about wealth protection. Yes. We hold this every year. This is our 13th year. We've got nine speakers, nine of the smartest people that I can put together in one room for a day and a half, two days. We put that on CD, so if you can't come down, obviously it's too late to come down. You can give us a call at 800-494-4149. All nine speakers will be on uh, CD. We all do a roundtable discussion at the end of it. Uh, the whole thing, this year, is only $99 plus mm. shipping and handling, but it's $99. bucks. you will get the conference booklet. Nine, ten CDs, actually, is what you'll get. Ten hours of programming, and that's pretty cheap. I mean, that's not mm. even, what, a ten bucks a CD. Right. And you will learn. I've had, I can't tell you how many people that I've got emails from saying, you know, from everything well, I came to your Wealth Protection Conference five years ago, and I'm very, very wealthy because of it, to people that said, I've been coming for five years, never paying any attention to these guys at all, but watch what they did, and I re- realized how much money I lost. But the main thing is personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the number one thing that people need to invest in in the United States of America. Right, because we've been heading in the other direction, basically. We want someone else to take care of us. That's the, that's that's right. the, that's the mentality. That's of the, the reason American we're here, people. though. Uh, I, before, we, um, before we go on to the next segment, I just want to ask, uh, Ian, you have another 
Uh, there's another sister company of CEF, of Central Fund of Canada, I think that is only in gold. Is that right? Yeah, it's called Central Gold Trust, uh, trades in New York, and the symbol GTU, which invests in gold only. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, we also have a silver bullion trust oh. that currently is traded only on the Toronto Exchange. It's not big enough to bring it to New York yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, I'm hoping that before the end of 2010, we will have the silver bullion trust uh, oh. trading in New York as well. Basically, it's a silver-only fund, mm -hmm. so that we've, in a sense, got the full family. Central Fund of Canada is the big one. It's, it's uh, at one stage this year, it was over $3 billion in oh. values. Yeah. Uh, Central Gold Trust is, you know, seven or $800 million, and the Silver Trust is still under $100 million. Yeah, but I'm I'm a big fan of silver, basically in the longer term, mm -hmm. because and I always refer to silver as being gold on steroids <laughs> when the gold market is hot. Indeed. Um, so the, the one thing about these funds, Ian, that I might point out to listeners is that many times, uh, especially during really hot times in the market, they the fund does sell at a premium yeah. to its intrinsic value. What sort of premium has it been selling at recently? Would you have an idea? Uh, well, basically, because they're closed-end investment mm -hmm. structures, they trade in relation to net asset value. The premiums have been relatively cool. They're, typically, I would say between 6% and 10 or 12%, well, uh, in part because of the perceived competition from the various ETFs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in periods in the past, we have seen the central fund premium over net asset value as high mm -hmm. as 30%. I've seen that. I yes. frankly don't expect to see that again. Again, now that there's so much competition uh, from the ETFs that are out there. Right. But the difference that I would see in, in the Central Fund of Canada is that you have an accounting of the amount of metal and you make that public to the, I mean, to the public. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that that's, that's the case with the, C, with the uh Well, the they don't, uh, the way I understand it, uh, Jay, is, is uh, Central Fund of Canada can't sell short, they can't do options, can't do futures. It's, All the stuff that the ETFs the, can the do. The ETFs can do, will right. do, and, are, and many and probably do. are doing. Who well, knows? My, the, this, this pair of hands I've got attached to me picked up three tons of gold in uh, the first week of November, hmm. picking up 400-ounce bars, three tons of gold. 400 ounces at a time, cross-checking the serial numbers, the, the maker of the bar and the details of the bar, looking at both ends and just the, the normalcy of it, with, in the presence of me as a director of central fund, a banker, and the auditor. Wow. Nobody can get into that vault without the auditor and an officer of the directors uh, being present. That's so the you, procedure that we created so, in 1983. So you personally, in? Yeah, I personally, I, personally. I, I personally participated in the audit structure since 1983. Gee, I would make one more remark that's mm -hmm. very important here, too, relative to, the, to what Ian is saying. This stuff is in Canada. It's not in the United States. Number next... The Canadian banks did not participate in all the nasty derivative stuff that the American banks did. Consequently, Americans who would own these funds that Ian is talking about would, would have an interest that's counted, audited, and insured in Canada, not in the United States. Now, could that be captured by Mr. Obama? I, I have my doubts. I, I would have my doubts. The other point I would make is when I say we pick it up and check the numbers, we actually keep a three-dimensional stack map of every bar of gold. So part of the audit process is the bar that we put four down, three rows in eight years ago. Hmm. could be picked out and checked to be in the same location. Oh, that's amazing. And we yeah, set that up in 1980. <laughs> we set that process up in 1983. Has the Central Fund of Canada ever sold any gold or silver? Uh, no. Uh, we keep a very small portion of excess cash in gold certificates. 
in the event that you know, so we want to stay fully invested. Right. So we'll have like one less than one percent or a little over one percent. And when the fund was smaller, we may have sold some of the certificate gold. Okay, let me, basically, we regard certificates right. as cash. Okay. Oh, that's, that's fascinating stuff, Ian. Thanks for sharing that with us. We have to move on to the commercial break now, but I want to ask before we go, uh, Ian, how can people learn more about the Central Fund of Canada and your newsletter deliberations? Central Fund of Canada is New York Stock Exchange listed under the symbol CEF, and any financial search service will tell you. I don't even operate a website. I've been, I'm sort of the last of the, uh, the dinosaurs. But, you know, a, a Google search of deliberations, Ian McAvity will, fi will find, find a page that's posted by the fellow that does a lot of my chart work for me. Excellent. And, Pat, uh, again, just once more, if you could tell people how they can learn more about wealth protection. Well, wealth protection, they can well, get they the can CDs. Go to, they could go to our website, you know, Silver Internet now. Radio, so they can go to buysilvernow.com, and everything will be on there. Our phone numbers, if they want to contact us, buysilvernow, B-U-I-S-I-L-V-E-R-N-O-W, now.com. And they got it. And Roger, just let people know about your, your well, regular guest, but let people know. I'm the editor of Trader Tracks, and Jay is my partner. And Trader Tracks newsletter is published once a week on Friday night. You can find us on webeatthestreet.com. You can also contact our office manager in New York City, Claudio Bassi, during office hours, 718-457-1426. All right. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Pat, and thank you, Ian, for being with us, for your uh, great insights. I wish we had more time. There's so much more we could talk about. Don't go away, folks. Next up, we're going to have an exciting new junior gold and lithium exploration company, TNR Gold Corp. will be with us, the CEO of that company. So don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, we interview the sponsors uh, to this show on a regular basis. We also interview members of Jay's Watch List, which I hope you will visit at jayswatchlist.com. That's J-A-Y-S watchlist.com. This week I'm talking to Gary Schellenberg. He is the president of TNR Gold Corp. Welcome, Gary, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks, Jay, uh, for having me. Well, thanks. Uh, good to have you on again. I, I think that uh, we're looking at TNR Gold Corp, uh, symbol TNR uh, on the Toronto Venture Exchange, TRRXF on the pink sheets, uh, Gary, as far as I know, you have about 107 million shares outstanding, and the share price recently about 24 cents. Have I got that right? That's correct. There, Jay. Yep. Okay. And TNRGoldCorp.com for people that want to follow your uh, progress is a good place to go. TNRGoldCorp.com, right? Yeah, that's our website. Yeah, and also uh, our subsidiary. Uh, uh, it'll have a link right to the subsidiary uh, International Lithium as well. I think that's uh, a key thing, which we'll get into uh, explaining uh, a new exciting opportunity that we're we're launching here in the next uh, uh, 60 days. Okay, is that a spin-out then? It will be, yes. Uh, okay. We're a project generation company, as you know, Jay. We've been uh, generating projects in gold, copper, and up until uh, about a couple of years ago, we recognized an opportunity in lithium and rare metals, and we started our subsidiary, International Lithium. We started identifying opportunities worldwide in Argentina, Nevada, Ireland, and in Canada. And we've put together a fairly impressive portfolio uh, of rare earths and lithium projects. And uh, we're just now um, ready to launch uh, our, our, subs- our publicly listed subsidiary, uh, um, which uh, I believe all the filings and our info circular and everything should be out within the next, uh, within the next 60 days. Okay, so TNR Gold Corp, you say Gold Corp, but it seems to me your emphasis has been more on lithium and rare earth metals of late. Uh, could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, we recognize, uh, again, uh, from our model, we recognize that there was a real opportunity in lithium. Uh, we still maintain a very sizable portfolio in, in, in uh, base metals and gold uh, in Argentina and in Alaska. But, again, uh, our strengths is generating opportunity, and uh, we recognized an opportunity like uh, a couple of years ago in the lithium uh, sector. We believe that uh, uh, both lithium and rare metals uh, – uh, are going to play a very important part in in our future uh, industry. You're seeing a lot of uh, uh, press right now in the lithium sector with regards to electric cars. Uh, we're seeing that uh, China is, uh, uh, is 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 clamping down on the exportation of their rare uh, rare metals, uh, and again causing a you know a worldwide shortage. And so these are the uh, the elements that we see as explorationists as being an opportunity. Uh, as, as opportunity, and uh, we, again, we jumped on to this opportunity rel- relatively early in the cycle and been able to put together a very significant portfolio. Uh, we've also uh, been building and searching, uh, building a team of professionals to staff this company, and uh, we think we've got uh, some of the better, uh, uh, best people uh, around uh, for which to advise us and, and help uh, explore and develop these assets. Um, and now we've come down to how do we unlock 
this value. And I think the best way of unlocking the value for TNR shareholders was for us to take this um, the, this uh, entire um, subsidiary, International Lithium, public. And uh, that's where we're in the process of doing. I think uh, the TNR shareholders will have direct and immediate benefit uh, from this spinoff. Okay, so if they buy shares now in your company, they will have automatically shares in uh, in the lithium company. That's correct. Yeah, as uh, and this will all be laid out in our info circular within the next. Uh, again, the info circular will be distributed probably within the next thirty to forty-five days. But what it'll, the structure will be for every four shares of uh, TNR that you currently hold, you'll wind up with one unit of international lithium, and that unit will be one free trading share and one. Uh, free trading uh, um, warrant, and that warrant will be uh, the strike price of that warrant will be uh, essentially determined at at fifty percent premium to our listing price. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, I know the case for gold very well. Mm-hmm. Make the case for lithium. We know lithium is one of the more abundant minerals in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the one hand, so you know it hasn't been worth too much basically in the past, but now we have this evolution potentially of the automobile uh, demand, the battery-driven car demand for lithium. How big can this be, do you think? I mean, uh, you know, and how quickly are we going to see automobiles commercialized? And how soon will we in, in, the, in New York, for example, see uh, battery-driven cars? Well, you're going to see battery-driven cars as early as next year. You know, you've got the emergence of the Volt and everything else coming out now. Uh, you're going to start seeing it more and more and more over the the course over the next three years. You're going to. You, it's ironic. You're seeing more. You know, the first impact will be in Europe, of course, uh, given the uh, you know Europe and in China. China's made a, a huge step forward. Uh, they're going to make. Uh, their aim is to be the largest electric car manufacturer in the world. Uh, just uh, over the course of the last two years, you've, you've, we've seen in China the exponential growth of electric bicycles, and this is something that uh, and, and motorcycles. It's been a huge exponential growth, and uh, what we're seeing, I think you nailed it down, is that there's no real shortage of lithium, but what there is a shortage of is supply, and I think that the projected supply crunch is going to come between 2013, 2014. And once you perceive that crunch coming, is that even the current suppliers uh, uh, will have a very, very difficult time to meet that uh, the forthcoming demand. So, as again an explorationist, we see the, that as a, a true opportunity. We can uh, we've been exploring uh, for for uh, uh, advanced projects. We think we've got some of the better. Uh, um, you know, Salar uh, projects uh, and 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 uh, definitely Hard Rock uh, um, rare metal projects uh, around where we think we can advance these things very quickly and be prepared to meet the demand. Also, what we're seeing uh, first time ever in my uh, you know whether it be gold or silver or, or copper that we've been looking for. This is the first time in my uh, 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 my experience that we've actually seen end product users coming into the junior market at such an early time. We've seen Toyota doing a joint venture with a junior company. We've seen Magna doing a, jo- a joint venture with uh, uh, a, a junior company, and, the, and, the, and these these projects are not advanced. You know, they're they're coming down, investing in juniors at a very very early stage, recognizing that there will be a shortage, and trying to secure lithium you know, sources for the, this future demand. So obviously, it's a very strategic um, metal uh, worldwide. It's being recognized by all the trading uh, houses uh, in Japan and, and Korea. There's a, there's, a, there's a distinct demand curve. and it, 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 Lithium is very much like diamonds were, I would say, you know, 10 years ago, where it's being controlled essentially by, uh, by, by very, very few uh, producers. Okay. And now, all of a sudden, with the increased demand, 
we're seeing other people coming in, and uh, and and the the major producers, uh, you know, I, I think will soon lose control over essentially that, that whole pricing market. And I think we can, uh, as explorers, bring the mar- bring lithium carbonate or or hydroxide to the marketplace uh, at at uh, number one, probably more efficiently, and uh, and get it to uh, the end product users uh, and and benefit from it for our shareholders. Okay, let me ask you about uh, rare earths. You have a tantalum mine, I believe, somewhere in South America. But is, are the rare earths going to be spun out with the lithium, or would that be another potentially another spin out down the road? No, the rare earths will go with the the lithium. Uh, oh, we they have, will. Okay. Uh, the tantalum in the Northwest Territories. We have tantalum, uh, cesium, rubidium uh, in uh, Ontario. Those projects will uh, go with. Uh, um, the lithium, uh, you know, a project again to make it a nice, uh, a, a well diversified lithium rare earth company. I think that's the key to all our, our business models: is that you need to have diversification to some set, some degree uh, within that same sector. I think uh, we're one of the few companies out there that's trading it uh, that, that can offer that diversification, whether we're producing lithium carbonate or hydroxide for batteries, or we're producing we can we have the ability to produce a spodumene concentrate for the ceramics and or other uh, uh, electronics industries. And, and uh, with the byproducts of things like the tantum, tantalum, the cesium, and the rubidium. Okay, you, have, uh, you also have precious metals properties. You also, I think, have some base metal properties. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the strategy really is to spin out those into separate companies sometime in the future. Is that what you're planning to do? That is correct, yeah. International Lithium is just the first spinoff. We have two other subsidiaries, Minera Solitario, which is our, our base metal uh, um, pro, uh, and gold projects in in Argentina, there's some 15 projects uh, within that subsidiary, and our next and most immediate uh, on on the on the, the spin-off uh, cycle will be our Bristol Explorations. That's that's a pro uh, that's a company that holds our Alaska gold assets, and I think uh, um, you may be familiar with our shotgun project. Uh, it currently, has about a million ounces of uh, non-compliant resources. Uh, it's in Alaska, quite close to Donlin Creek. It's a Donlin Creek lookalike. Uh, Donlin Creek has, uh, I think, yeah. currently about 30 million ounces of gold, which uh, Barrick and Nova Gold are developing. Um, we currently uh, see the opportunity here to advance this project uh, fairly rapidly on a standalone basis, uh, and okay. uh, uh, the million ounces is just a starting point. We've okay, Gary. I'm, unfortunately, we're just we're just about out of time here. No I've got a. I've got to uh, tell people that uh, in order to follow you, they should go to tnrgoldcorp.com. Uh, it, it is an exciting story with a market cap of a little more than $25 million, million, I would say. It's a very exciting story. Can you just hang on just for a second as we wrap up here, Gary, because I'd like to talk to you after we're, after we're finished with the show. But I've got Roger Wiegand. Roger, you there? Roger's here. Okay, Roger, real quickly, we only got a, well, less than two minutes here. I wanted to ask you, you had some ideas about where people might be able to make money. I, I think uh, your, your concern is in the financial sector. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe... You have some ideas that you've expressed in your newsletter about uh, about possibly about shorting the financials. Could you just talk about that briefly? As uh, we only have about a minute left or so. Well, in the middle of May, we're expecting the annual sell and make go away. We want to get set up for it. Uh, we think that there's going to be an opportunity to short not only the banks and the credit markets, but also the stock market. And I've been putting together some trades that reflect that kind of an attitude. And I think we're going to have probably a choice of like four, five, or six different trades and a combination of buying and selling shares, buying and selling futures, and also uh, a couple of trades that will involve uh, call options. 
Uh, we've put one or two of these on already in anticipation of what's going to happen this year, and the returns look absolutely fabulous. Your listeners should remember that, you know, if a stock takes four, five, six weeks to climb up on the downside, on the short side, if you're trading that way, it goes so very much faster. So these things are fairly quick. Okay, Roger, I'm going to have to cut you off because we're out of time. We squeezed the back end of this show today, and my apologies to Gary as well. We'll have him back on sometime soon. Uh, next week, folks, we're going to be back with uh, a very interesting guest, Adrian Salbucci. He's an Argentinian economist who will explain his view of the financial, mar uh, financial meltdown and, and where we're going from here. It should be a very, very interesting perspective from an economist from Argentina. I want to also invite you to call Claudio Bossi for our special trial offers uh, for new one-time uh, subscribers, first-time subscribers, I should say. We have some special offers there. Uh, again, before we say goodbye, I want to thank each of you for listening, and I also want to thank my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks again to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is